We pick up our study in this deep dive into 1 Peter. In the fifth chapter, the beginning of the fifth chapter, we are uh, rapidly coming to the close of this precious uh, study, and we're picking it up in the fifth chapter. I want to go ahead and read the first four verses of the fifth, uh, of the fifth chapter to you, and then we will dive in and explore what God has to say to us in this session. But 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, I exalt the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. We have throughout our study seen that transitional word, therefore, and you will recall the word therefore takes us back to what has previously been stated. So when we come to chapter 5 and we see that word therefore, what has Peter been saying? What has just been discussed? We'll go back to chapter 4 verse 17, which reveals the therefore. Peter has been talking about judgment beginning in the household of God. Let me just read it to you. 1 Peter 4, 17, For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? So Peter has been discussing judgment within the household of God. If this judgment is essential to the work and witness of the church, this judgment certainly carries an exponentially greater weight upon church leadership. And that is what Peter is about to address as we come to the beginning of this fifth chapter. There is an incredible weight, an incredible pressure upon leaders within the community of faith. I am convinced very few believers fully comprehend the pressure placed upon the man of God by the call of God. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, we are not going to, to go through it in great detail, but in 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, the Apostle Paul shares with us a resume of the pain and suffering he endured as a result of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He actually provides us with a laundry, a laundry list. I'm going to share some of those with you. He says, five times I received 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the, the deep. In other words, he spent uh, an entire 24-hour period just floating, floating in the water. He said frequent dangers, and then he lists the frequent dangers that come upon him uh, by countrymen, by leadership, uh, by Gentiles, 
And then he says something very interesting at the end of that resume of pain and suffering for the sake of the gospel. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, he makes this statement. In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 28, after he's listed this laundry list of things that he's endured, that he's experienced, that he's suffered as a result of the gospel, he says in verse 28, Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure, the word is thalipsis, that is the, the grinding of wheat in a mill, that kind of pressure. There is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. So Paul says, on top of all of this external suffering, all of this external pressure I'm experiencing for the sake of the gospel, as a minister of the gospel, there's this internal pressure, this overwhelming burden, this weight that I carry because I care for the church. In Hebrews 13, we read uh, an, an interesting statement made by the author of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, uh, we find these words, Obey your leaders. That in and of itself causes most church members to cringe, but it's in the word of God, and it is a true biblical principle. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep, here's what I want you to hear, watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Every church leader, every pastor bears the weight of this biblical reality. As a shepherd, he will stand before a holy God and account for how he has led the sheep. That is even more burdensome. When the sheep are constantly biting, bickering, criticizing, or complaining everything the man of God does to lead the people of God. When the pastor's wife is constantly berated, when his children are expected to be a constant beacon of perfection, there is an eternal accountability that every pastor must face. And therefore, your pastor needs your prayer. The wife of a godly man awakened her husband one Sunday morning and said, Dear, it's time to get up and go to church. He said, I don't want to go to church. Nobody likes me down there. Everybody makes fun of me down there. I never do anything right down there. People are criticizing everything I ever do down there. And she said, but honey, you have to go to church. You're the pastor. Now, you may chuckle at that, but there is far more truth in that illustration than most church members are courageous enough to admit. And perhaps that is why the author of Hebrews in that 13th chapter, the 17th verse, goes on to say, let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. It is not the responsibility of the people of God to make the man of God miserable, <laughs> to, to measure his reverence or his holiness uh, by the frown upon his face because he'd been con constantly beaten down by the people. That does not benefit anyone. Second, you should pray for your pastor because he lives every day with a target on his back. Now remember, Peter is seeking to provide these suffering saints hope. 
How does he provide them with hope? By pointing them to the one who suffered for them and all that his suffering, Jesus Christ, has done for them and made available to them, namely salvation here and heaven hereafter. Well, if that is the kind of suffering these believers were enduring, try for just a moment to imagine the kind of pain and suffering being heaped upon the man of God who's seeking to lead the flock. If the believers themselves were going through so much pain and suffering, what about the leadership? I mean, after all, shoot the lead wolf, the pack will scatter. Shoot the general, there will be chaos in the camp. So Satan aims his heaviest, most sadistic arsenal at church leadership, at the pastor, at the, the church leadership. And so you should pray for your pastor because he has a target on his back every moment of every day. So let's consider Peter's words to the church leaders. Back to 1 Peter chapter 5. So understand what these leaders were enduring, what they were going through. We need to keep that in mind as we come to this passage in 1 Peter 5. Peter is not seeking to chastise them. He's not seeking to admonish them. He is speaking with a clear understanding of what these poor leaders must have been going through during this period of persecution. Therefore, I exhort you. The Greek word is parakaleo. It is often used in reference to the role of the Holy Spirit, and it literally means to come alongside. So as Peter begins to address church leadership, he says, I exhort you. That is, I come alongside you. And it's incredibly important for us to understand this principle. Peter does not stand above them. He does not lord his leadership over them. He comes alongside them. He identifies with them. It is almost as if Peter is saying, guys, even as I speak, I speak as one of you. Even as I speak, I speak as one with you. Even as I speak, I want you to know that I'm speaking as one who is on your team, one who is on your side, and one who is standing with you. And then notice how Peter seeks to identify with these elders. He mentions three things. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you, here's the first one, as your fellow elder. The word for elder is the Greek word presbyteros, from which we get our word Presbyterian. The elder acts in a pastoral role over the people laboring in word and doctrine. There are three primary words to address the role of the pastor in the local church. This is one of them, presbyteros. The other is episkopos, from which we get episcopal. And the third is the Greek word poimen, which means to shepherd the flock. So, Peter says, I, I want to, you to know, as I exhort you, as I come alongside you, I come alongside you as a fellow elder. I come alongside you as one of you. And then the second point of identification, as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now remember, Peter is, is seeking to offer these believers hope in the midst of their suffering by pointing them to the one who suffered for them and all that his suffering has made available to them, namely salvation here and heaven 
hereafter. And now Peter is reminding them, as I talk about suffering, I want you to know that I was a witness. I was a firsthand eyewitness to the suffering that Jesus endured. I saw it with my own eyes. I'm not speaking philosophically. I am speaking experientially. I saw that beating. I saw that cat of nine tails that ripped into his back. I saw those nails in his hands and in his feet. I saw that crown of thorns on his head. I witnessed it with my own eyes. But Peter's also referencing the fact that he's witnessed the sufferings of Christ or being a partner in the sufferings of Christ in his own life. He knew what it meant to be a fellow suffer. I do find it interesting, however, that as Peter makes this statement, witness of the sufferings of Christ, and one element of that being an, a, a personal participant, uh, having experienced it, that this phrase would almost become prophetic. Because ultimately, Peter himself would die by crucifixion. He would be crucified upside down at his own request because he did not feel himself worthy to share in the same suffering that Jesus endured on the cross. And so rather than be crucified in the normal way, Peter requested that he be crucified upside down because he did not feel worthy to have that identification with Christ. In other words, Peter's saying, I saw with my own eyes the suffering of Christ and the suffering Christ endured. I have witnessed, experienced in my own life the suffering that has come upon me because of my identification with Christ. And if this passage, if the identification of Peter with these elders ended right here, we would be most miserable. But Peter, praise God, goes on. The third identification and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Peter's not dwelling on the pain behind him. He is dwelling on the glory before him. And this should be us in the midst of our suffering. We do not look back at our situation. We do not even look at our situation. Now we look at the glory that is to come. I think of, of precious Stephen in the seventh chapter of Acts, having testified of Christ, the stones being hurled at him, being beaten. And in Acts chapter seven, we read these words, but being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. And as those stones continued to come, that glimpse of the glory to come uh, allowed Stephen to say in love and compassion, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. So focusing on this future glory empowers us to endure daily suffering for the name of Christ. And after this compassionate identification, Peter then goes on to address the challenge of judgment for these leaders. Just look at the, the passage there in 1 Peter chapter 5. The first 
challenge of judgment is in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God among you. As I mentioned, that word shepherd is the word poimen, and it literally means shepherd, to guide, to guard, to provide for those God has entrusted to you. And then he tells them, these leaders, these elders, how not to shepherd. And just look at the text as we walk through it. He said, not because you have to. Not out of compulsion. And as a minister of the gospel for over 28 years, almost 30 years in church ministry, I assure you, I have to confess, there were times when I did it because I had to. 80 hours of a week, constant hospital visits, and everyone expecting a fresh word on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. There is an incredible burden that leads one on occasion to feel like he's doing it out of compulsion. However, for my personal situation, I still remember on those occasions, going back as a 16-year-old boy, when I heard the call of God so profound on my life that I knew I did what I did because of the call of God on my life. And Peter's saying, you need to remember that. Don't do this because you have to. Do it because it's been the, the will of God that has compelled you and called you to shepherd the people of God. He says not to profit from it. Not as a dictator over them. The word literally means domineering. But here's the transition. Voluntarily under the will of God. Do what you do because it is God who has entrusted you with this incredible responsibility. It is his will for your life. So the man of God is to be motivated by the call of God and driven by the love of God to shepherd the people of God. Does that sound preachy and churchy enough? <laughs> Voluntarily under the will of God, not for sordid gain. That is, no one is to be led for the purpose of patting his own pocketbook. Peter saw it in his day and we see it in our own day. Those who bemoan give them money because the ministry is compelling them to buy a jet or to buy a fancy car. And here's what I would say in that regard. God provides for the man of God so that he can stay focused on the people of God. It is not a life of luxury. It is a life of labor. And you're compelled to do what you are compelled to do as a minister of the gospel for the sake of the people of God, not for your own financial well-being. That does not mean that the church should not take care of the man of God. The more you take care of the man of God financially, the more he can devote time to the people of God. That is shepherding the sheep. And then he says to be an example to the people of God. Wow. Don't do it because of this, but do it because of this. And then he goes on as to the motivation in verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. It is a crown that is not inherited. It is a crown that is earned. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, perhaps because of my history in uh, the athletic arena, uh, my love and my passion for sports is 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and verse 24. And Paul is referencing 
the Isthmian Games, a, a nationally known sporting event that occurred every three years in the city of Corinth. And, and he writes in verse 24 and 25, verses 24 and 25, do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable wreath. That is, we do not do what we do for something that's going to fade away. We do what we do because God has a crown for us that will last for all time and eternity. He, he would write in his, Paul would write in his painful epitaph to his young protege, Timothy, uh, in 2 Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward to me on that day. And not only to me, I love the fact that he includes this next phrase, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So shepherd and sheep alike, may we all live every moment of every day with our eye on the prize. As we seek to be faithful in an unfaithful world, as we seek to be pure in a perverse world, remember our motivation is that there is a glory to come. And God has a prize waiting for us that this world cannot give to us. And praise God, this world cannot take away. And so we press on to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We'll see you next session. On behalf of Jacob Kritzman, Larry Kelly, and the rest of our Word Power team, let me thank you for joining us today. It is our passionate purpose to go deeper and stay longer in God's Word so that you might grow stronger and stand taller for your faith. That is why we exist. That is why this ministry exists. And we're glad you have joined us. If we've been an encouragement to you, please reach out to us. You can reach us at wordpowermm at gmx.com, wordpowermm at gmx.com. Or you can simply put a comment in, whether you're watching YouTube, Instagram, or on Facebook. We'd love to hear from you to know how we have been an encouragement to you. Before uh, we leave, let me remind you the truth of God's Word. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Thanks for joining us.